Welcome to today's episode of the Purdue ASME, American Society of Mechanical Engineers podcast, which aims to provide an outlet for not only Purdue students, but all students, learners, and aspiring professionals around the world to learn from experienced professionals in the field of engineering and beyond. I'm your co-host, Liam Kaufman, and joining me today is my fellow co-host, Aggie Theroux, who will introduce our guests on today's episode. So on today's episode, we are joined by Aref Malek and Jacob Zytek. Both are computer science students at Purdue with interest in machine learning, artificial intelligence, and they're also leaders for the Purdue ML and AI clubs. Uh, both have had multiple internships regarding technology, software development, and AI. Uh, this actually is going to mark one of our new series for the ASME podcast. Uh, we're going to be interviewing a lot more of students and have a more conversational and casual tone uh, compared to our professional development series. This professional development series that we've had so far has been more of a goal to help students with post-graduation and things after university, but this series we want to aim towards helping students maximize their potential within the university um, and really help you put your best foot forward going out into the real world. So I think this would be a really cool opportunity for you guys and all students listening to uh, learn more about how they could you know, develop themselves at Purdue. Yeah. So, I mean, starting off, Jacob, like you were just talking about it, you got to run soon, um, but you're headed to work on a pretty cool project, so I'm sure you can talk about that a little bit. Sure, yes. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a part of a lab uh, at Grinnell uh, in the uh, Purdue Polytechnic School. Uh, so, we're doing an Alexa prize challenge. So, every single year, Amazon Alexa hosts three sort of AGI-type competitions where they try to see who can build the best bot for some set of tasks. So the competition I'm working on uh, aims to build a, uh, a robot that can lead you through any sort of DIY or cooking task. Yeah, that's oh, that's really sick. And when I and you were just talking about it, what's what's challenging about it is that like in the moment when people are like actually using the model, like it goes and like finds what the correct response would be like right there. Yeah, exactly. So we're testing it on like real customers. So that's really the the cool part of the competition is that you have a, uh, Amazon Alexa's whole user base. Oh, so, wow. uh, you know, you get to develop it kind of like a startup super quickly for three, four months. And then you uh, you get out and you test it on real customers and you see what they want. Uh, and then you got to develop your technology accordingly. So, yeah, yeah. Super stressful, but super fun. So for all the listeners out there that aren't familiar with AGI, you want to explain what that is? Sure. So it's artificial general intelligence. So it's, um, you know, I use that word a little bit loosely, um, but, uh, you know, Amazon Alexa is just trying to find different ways of finding uh, finding how to make the robots more conversational and uh, be active in uh, all sorts of new new situations, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I mean by AGI. Isn't isn't AGI like an actual like like something we're trying to achieve? Like it's not. It's like we haven't achieved it yet. Like I think I was just yeah, I was listening to something yesterday and it was like we're really far away from that. But like, yeah. what constitutes like once we reach like yeah? How do you models how do you quantify like that? that? Like, uh, do you guys go based on like philosophy of consciousness or like some sort of like uh, efficiency based? Like, how do you what is what is there? How do we get there? You know, I think uh, the way that Amazon Alexa tries to quantify it is the fact that uh, no matter what task you you give it, it should be able to do that. Um, so it's really just like, a, you know, we call it, a, instead of thinking humanly, you're thinking rationally. So in every single situation, you're able to handle that, um, given some sort of prior experience. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Thinking rationally. Yeah. 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 Like, That's something that we, we call in the AI world. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to think humanly, you want to think rationally. So by humanly, you mean like with emotion and feelings mm -hmm. and things like that. So you want to take that completely out of the equation. 
Yeah, yeah. So you really want so okay. Amazon Alexa just aims to be a robot that is omnipotent and knows everything, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> as opposed to something like ChatGPT, which is trying to help you humanly, right? Right. It's trying to emulate like you're speaking to another human. Okay. So, but what about like for um, in more ethical cases, with self-driving cars? You know, there's that common uh, scenario with like you know the trolley problem, or like if uh, you're heading in a direction where you're gonna hurt a lot of people, do you swerve out and sacrifice the user of the car at the expense of saving five other people on the road, for example? How does the AI make those decisions if it's thinking rationally? Well, luckily, uh, I don't deal with anything like that. <laughs> <That's> crazy. <laughs> we're uh, we're trying to help people make recipes, and, right? You know, uh, make paper airplanes and stuff like that. Um, so in that case, you know, we have a lot of fallback mechanisms when things get a little bit rowdy, uh, users try to be offensive, mm-hmm. or if the bot somehow generates an offensive response, we have backups for stuff like that too. So are those just like manually like programmed in or like put into the model or it's like, all right, if we get a question or a query like that, then we're just going to respond with like this response. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if we have something, um, that's offensive, let's say abusive toward the robot, we have a text mark response we have to give every time. Legally from Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and something interesting uh, as well is that a lot of people f- think that these AI models are just completely end-to-end, like ChatGPT. You give something, and you put in some sort of black box, and then some res- uh, response spits out. But really what we're doing is, uh, is a combination of a lot of smaller models. So yeah. something that can detect whether or not something's offensive would be a small model mm-hmm. that we have to build upon. Uh, something that can generate a response for like a recipe is another thing we have to work on. That's so it's just a combination of smaller things. Yeah, it's one of the things like I've learned a little bit, like even just like doing like the invoice recognition I was just talking about um, before we started recording. Like just pulling the data off of the invoice is like one model, mm-hmm. like to create the actual table and then actually like reading the table, like OCR is like a different model. So like mm-hmm. I can imagine with something like ChatGPT, there's probably like so many models that are involved to, to make it work. Yeah, yeah, and uh, unfortunately, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, OpenAI won't publish that. Oh, so. uh, okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, I was always wondering, like, you know, you say with AGI, we have like this ultimate goal to reach. Um, do you ever think that like it would be developed in a way where you know we would have uh, fears of it becoming self-conscious or like overriding any of the its own algorithm that's like been programmed to follow? Uh, luckily, for what we're doing. There's no chance of that, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. For your case, not. Nah, but like in yeah. in uh, in the grand scheme of things, for what, where we're going in the future mm-hmm. with the uh, AI development and everything, I, I personally don't ever see it going that way. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people think differently. Right. Um, I think it's just um, you know ChatGPT and all of these other large language models that have been coming out that are on the roadway to AGI. Mm-hmm. They're really just like past techniques that we've already known about that we've kind of perfected a little bit more. Okay. Um, and all they're doing is just mimicking human language, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't think that we'll really get to a point where, I don't know, it could take over or it'll have like a chain of thought. Right, right, right. It can manipulate someone into doing something. Yeah. That's like the, uh, that's the one thing, the one case where I've seen where I could actually see like AI being a problem is like, and, like, actually, like, I don't know, manipulating or controlling, like, the masses. Like, mm-hmm. if the model, like, one of the things with AI, and I'm sure you guys know that's super powerful about it, is that it's able to, like, personalize mm-hmm. towards, like, millions of people. Mm-hmm. So, like, that can be a little scary to think about if it can get, like, personalized to the point where it can sway millions and millions of people, say, on, like, social media or something to, like, push certain views or, I don't know, push or grow certain movements. Yeah. Um, that's like I could definitely see that being like pretty scary in the future, and it's 
it's weird to think about. Yeah, that's sure. a good point. Um, I just wanted to bring up one more thing because I do have to go. But, uh, you know, uh, Google was developing this one AGI LLM uh, called Llama. I don't know if you heard about this, but a, a Google engineer completely freaked out because he thought he was talking to something that was conscious. Yeah. Right? So that person Holy. ended up leaking that entire project, ended up uh, leaking entire chat transcripts because he was manipulated by this robot uh -huh. into thinking that it was like a real conscious being, right? Wow. But he's just mimicking, the, the model is just mimicking human speech, right? Yeah. That's all it's doing. So, you know, I, I think it could be used to manipulate people in the, in the future. That's a good point. <laughs> The, the one point I'd like to add, first off, thanks for having us on. Um, I would say it's kind of already being used in that sort of way. Not in a very negative way, but you would imagine that like a, a Netflix or like a TikTok, for example, right? The AI algorithm is already kind of like, how do I map out your personality and recommend you content, right? Sure, it's not generating content, but in the sense that, you know, uh, we imagine it's a bad thing, right? Oh, like the AI is going to completely manipulate me and do this. But really, it's like, what's the next like comedy show you want to watch, right? And so that's kind of the way I would think about it. Like, it's kind of just parroting how, first, in Jacob's example, it would be language, right? How do I talk to an engineer so I convince him one person? But also, like, how do I keep you on the platform and keep you watching? So I would say it's not as scary as you think, but also it's mm -hmm. kind of happening. It's just a really strong, like, uh, pattern recognizer and mimicking yeah. algorithm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've had some really, really strong pattern recognizers before, right? Like, if you ever use TikTok's algorithm, right? you know, this is, they developed that, it was Way crazy three years ago. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and that can uh, pick up on patterns of humans a lot better mm -hmm. than like Google's and stuff like that. I don't know. The, te the technology's been out there already. Yeah, yeah, I think I feel like the primary differentiator that I think about is mm -hmm. that as, as long as we make sure that the AI doesn't have like desires or like mm -hmm. feelings, then it we prevent it from having any malicious intent and doing things on its own and go beyond what it's been told to do so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I guess that's like the the main limiting factor that we can avoid. I guess uh, my, my point on that one would just be that like uh, the same way that like Jacob said, we're just trying to like parrot uh, some activation. Sorry, let me rephrase. We're trying to parrot some sort of like functionality of like human uh, behavior, whether it's mm -hmm. like in the basic examples like 10 years ago, it's like, oh, can I tell if it's a cat or dog to now where it's like, oh, can I give you like cooking recipes or something like that, right? We pretty much constrain, like, the point of a model is to train it for some specific function. The special thing about neural networks, that's the buzzword that you hear, is that it's specifically, like, able to train to any function. Like, that's, like, the property of it. Anyway, so it's cool because, yeah, you can train it to be a human or something like that. But the goal isn't really that. It's to act rationally, not humanly. Mm -hmm. So whatever the rational act is, it'll try to take that. It's interesting that you say rationally because, like, like, what is... what what is like acting rationally like i even think about that too like even just in terms of like how like i don't know you carry yourself on a daily basis like i feel like for a lot of people it make like you want to try to act rationally as most as possible like oh should i study or go on instagram right now or well, the rational decision is to study so like how does that work within a model yeah so let me give an example for like computer vision so let's say you take an average person off the street and you're trying to differentiate between a lynx and a common house cat let's see these two these two animals are completely the same, except for like their pointed ears or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, an average person may not be able to make this distinction. And let's say if someone's, if the model is trying to act humanly on human labeled data that's not from an expert, it uh, it might make an error in that distinction as well. But if you have uh, experts who are labeling this data, you can then learn that the pointed ears uh, correspond to a lynx. And rounded ears correspond to a cat. Okay. Just like a really simple example, but it happens a lot more than you think, especially with stuff like data set labeling. 
where you have regular people labeling and they mess up all the time. Just because we, when we label stuff, we bring in our own bias, right? Right. Yeah. So I guess kind of going back to like Liam's example, mm-hmm. would it have some sort of, um, there's like a, a limiting number of categories that it gets to analyze uh, to make that decision, like various factors that it looks into. But I guess that's the limiting uh limiting condition, I guess, constraint, the, the number of factors that it considers to make that decision. Like, uh, you know, is studying going to do well for me in the future versus like, what do I want to accomplish right now? You know what I mean? Like, um, what does it look into? What's the process of thought in that sense? It's, it's pretty hard to, to answer that because there's so many different types of models that right. do different things. Um, so if you're looking at something that's just like a classification problem, so let's say a cat versus a lynx, mm-hmm. yeah, y- you only have those two categories. Mm-hmm. So... It's very easy to tell when a model is acting humanly or it's trying to act rationally. When you have something like ChatGPT, which is sequence to sequence, it's a sequ- sequence of text and it generates a sequence of text. Um, it's a little harder to tell, right? Yeah. You, you just kind of have to look at it. And yeah. Make a decision based off of that. Jacob was just mentioning like data labeling. Is that one of like the biggest challenges you think like within developing AI and like improving is like actually like for whatever task it is that we're trying to like create or do like actually finding data that's relevant and being able to label it properly. Yeah, um, I kind of would agree. Uh, I think that the thing that you're noticing is that, like, obviously, as the models get bigger and bigger, like, um, what was it, ChatGPT might have been, like, a billion parameters. GPT-4 is definitely in the hundred of billions of parameters. Um, Obviously, getting right data is really important, but also how do we actually customize it for the problem? Like Jacob said, um, a huge problem with actual data labeling is that it's, like, is it professional enough? Is it, like, actually the domain of, like, experts? Because... If we imagine that, like, um, let's say that we're trying to, like, map out AGI as, like, a map of, like, expert intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking rationally was the term. So, like, we wanted to think, uh, like, really smart, notice the things like the pointed ears on the links compared to the house cats and stuff like that. Um, The problem here is that, like, unless we have, like, domain expert labeling, which is hard to come by, right? It's like, I'm going to find, like, 50 biologists to, like, label this data for me. It's a little bit hard to do, right? Unless we have that, like, it's hard to have these really good AI models. So, like, especially for things like the chat GPTs that are less, like, discreet. Like, how do I tell? This is a good human response. Like, come on, right? That's weird. Um, But, like, the thing that you have to do is create smarter systems. So, like, um, in that chat GPT example, um, what they did, I don't know if you guys know this one, uh, OpenAI told on their blog that, like, the way that they did it is that we would pretty much have it, like, give out its normal responses, right? Chat GPT would give its responses, and what it would do is that it's like, okay, uh, we can't, like, determine this like five, four, three, two, one, right? We're, it's like a, we put our own bias. What we could do is get people and say, hey, how realistic does this sound, right? If we're trying to aim for something that in the map of human knowledge kind of sits right in the middle, let's bring in average people and do, like label it. That's our domain reality. So by doing that, we're pretty much able to say, okay, hey, uh, these responses are like five fours, these kind of responses, the way it like, you know, generates this thing is a little bit unhuman. So by doing that, we have another AI that's like, okay, I can rate chat GPT responses because it's mm-hmm. modeled off human people. Mm-hmm. And then they compete back and forth. Is this like the uh, like human-based training or whatever where like yeah. know, chat like outputs something and then there's an actual human sitting there like, is this right or wrong? And then you click and it trains the model that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like pretty much direct uh, human data labeling, right? I'm, I guarantee you uh, open AI is scraping your data for that, right? Because that's how they're going to train the next thing, right? You got to think like, on the scale of human responses, nobody is probably having the amount of data that they have, right? They have pretty much all of the U.S. Yeah. and like the world uh, at their fingertips. So yeah, like the thing about making uh, bots more realistic, they're they're getting so much data right now. Um, but yeah, like the data labeling is always like a really hard problem. Um, this brings up a good point, but did I answer the question? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Sure. So um, go ahead. I was gonna say like 
what do you think about like the open AI like infrastructure? Like before Jacob left, one of the things he mentioned is like we'll never actually be able to see like how the model works, um, which is a little bit weird because I don't know most like code is pretty open source now. It's like on GitHub, but like with AI and machine learning, like it's just like hidden or private. What do you think that? Yeah, is there a reason for that? It's so secretive. Um, I think it's like the the general problem of like a big science versus small science. Um, like the way that I would say it is that it's like a, you might even notice it within like the other engineering dis disciplines, right? Like the academia of the world will do like these small, really innovative breakthrough things, right? And then uh, people who have like bigger resources, like the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Open AIs, right? They're able to like capitalize on that. They're tremendous pools of data, right? And then they're able to build something that really hits the market. So I think um, if I understand, like the question is kind of like, okay, like uh, yes, everything's being done behind closed scenes. It's for profit. Is there any sort of dream of like an open source ML? Yeah. 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 Uh, that's what OpenAI was supposed to be. Uh, it was pretty much like all the best like ML scientists in the world, right? In yeah. Hence the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but uh, the problem that happened was pretty much that like, I think as soon as you realize you have extra resources, you have a talented pool, it's like hard not to just like bite the bullet and make the money. They're, right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with like when they have so much access to all this data. Yeah. I definitely feel like it has to be restricted in some sort of manner. Um, and it works on like a like an API model right now, right? Like you have to pay to be able to use all that data. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's it's AI for rent, which is kind of crazy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. The fact that that's a, yeah. So is that feature for more like if you want to upload some of your own files and then have it analyzed uh, that particular data that you're uploading and then have responses generated based off of that? Or like what is the advantage of GPT-4? I haven't looked too much into that. It's like building new models, right? I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I would say GPT-4, like the big benefit is just that, like, like you said, it's a little bit more advanced. If mm -hmm. you guys saw the demo, right? It's like, oh, let's take a picture. We could take a picture of a website and it would generate the code for us, right? It's like a different level of like, okay, like beyond like the OCRs like you were mentioning of like, let's just get like, what's the information on this invoice? How do we actually like generate it, right? Yeah. And that's like a general thing of like, okay, if we have all the code in the world on GitHub that's open source, now let's try to scrape it and learn how to like, you know, reverse engineer. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about is I heard like within the club, you guys are like trying to develop your own like ChatGBT or large language model. Like, yeah. and I'm sure you could just talk about like the different things your club is doing and. Sure. Um, so the origin of that project is actually pretty funny. Uh, one of our like friends, uh, what he did is that he pretty much got uh, OpenAI's a GPT-2 API. Um, he decided that I'm gonna make a Discord bot out of this, and he ran it on Purdue's like research servers. <laughs> so um, yeah, like the entire model, like the entire like Discord, uh, it's called Among Us. Like that's the <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, um, the Among Us bot is running on like as a Discord bot, and it's pretty much just um, interfacing with the GPT like GPT-2's API. Um, so I think actually scaling it, they're doing a lot of research specifically on how uh, the term is called autoregressive, but just how general language models will interact with people and how do we design that so that it's like a comfortable experience. That's really interesting. So in terms of um, how models are actually developed, is the fundamental for all these models, you just give it a bunch of data and it learns by itself? Like what are the different types of like training algorithms or I guess really the fundamentals of AI? Because I mean, I hear this term neural networks a lot and there's also these like training models. Um, is there another one? Like, how does, uh, what are the fundamentals for AI? Yeah, really good question. Um, I wish there was video because I could point right there. If you see, <laughs> a, there's a, on the, we're in a, like a classroom-ish setting right now. There's mm -hmm. a whiteboard and the, one of the labels is supervised versus unsupervised. So uh, supervised is your label data. So that's like the, um, that's like the 
is this a cat versus a dog? Right. Like, can I detect what people are? Because at the end of the day, like, the model has to learn how to mimic some distribution of data, right? Or and really that's when, like, the human provides input on, like, what the actual answer is. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, not everything is like that. Um, for example, so unsupervised uh, is when the data set isn't really unlabeled. Like, it's there's no labels to it. We just feed it in, and you learn how to make it work. I think the best examples of these are, like, the, the Go bots that you saw playing or, like, the chess bots. And what it does, right, is that, like, we'll have some way to measure like good performance. We're not explicitly labeling it. Let's just say that there's some function that like, if I move a chess piece, if I move my knight here, and then uh, based on how the game turns out, I could tell you whether it's good or bad. I could give you a reward for that, right? Mm-hmm. I could tell you how to do it. So by doing that, we'd pretty much be able to like map out what behavior should look like and it'll optimize for that. So that's like how like your chess games, your chess bots, your go bots and stuff like that. And it comes in handy, especially for actually for chat GPT because the term is, I think, uh, RLHF, like the human feedback reinforcement learning. Okay. The same idea where it's like the the chat GPT will create a response, the AI that's like trained to like rank it or rate its response gives it feedback and now they work together and compete. Do you know the YouTuber CodeBullet? Uh, yeah, I think I have heard of him. Okay, so I think a lot of his videos are in, in that sort of uh, regime where they like uh, provides incentives in his neural network algorithm and then the model learns based off of like... Um, like he makes like these 2D platformers and he puts like little rewards at the end of the map. And if it reaches it, then the, the next generation develops based on that reward and then continues growing. So yeah. I, so are those like the two primary types of uh, um, AI development, unsupervised and supervised? I would, I would say that's like the two like schools of training. Okay. Um, I would say as far as like actually like training your models, I think the, the, the term will always be neural networks. Um, okay. Before, like I'd say maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a whole bunch of models used. Uh, there's a course called 373 or Purdue, plugged to that course. But anyways, there's a bunch of stuff. There's some stuff called SVMs and things like that. And what's special about them, they'd, they'd all do different things. Like they'd all like try to map different functions and do things like that. And based on how your data is, you'd have your data scientists figure out what can I use for this sort of thing. Um, the special thing about neural networks, um, first, they got really easy to train because of uh, like hardware advancements. And the second thing is that like anyone could train them, right? It's not like I needed like a specialist. So um, neural networks really took off because they're easily accessible. They're relatively cheap. Well, not like if you're an open AI scientist or whatnot, but if you just want to play around. And um, yeah, like it's just stuff you can use. There's a b- whole bunch of models. You'll hear the word transformer. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was literally just going to ask about that is like, what makes the transformer model like so effective? Like that's that's what I've heard is like what made Chap GBT like so effective is that it used a transformer model. Yeah. Which like I don't know if the way I understand it. Like I know you probably read that like Google paper that like first yeah, introduced it. I tried to read it. I spent like three hours, got like halfway through it, and I was yep. like, all right, there's too many new terms to learn. <laughs> um, but the way I understand it is it just maps the inputs, and so it's not like reaching back super far like developing some long like formula that it can't like access previous memory um but i'm sure you could talk about that a little bit sure um my one preface is that that paper is hard for everyone i would say i still don't fully understand it um jacob probably doesn't either Uh, i would say anyone in ml is like okay like i know how to use the model there's a bunch of stuff that uses it but yeah uh really good question by the way uh transformer is like the special model that every research lab is using my lab is using it my project's using it jacob's is probably using it twice right for his own personal research and for alexa um, the special term is attention. So the title of the paper is attention is all you need. And um, in the scope of like these chatbot models, um, what you'll realize, like let's just take Google Translate, for example. If you remember when we were like in middle school or let's just say like f- 
seven, eight years back, if you gave it like a sentence, it would try to translate it word for word, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's awful, right? Because it's like if I give you like a Miyamoto for something, right? Like, sure, like you can do simple examples, but as you get more complex, learning how grammar works and things like that, right. it's hard. Ignore syntax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good way to say it. So um, I think what's special is that like a lot of these models started doing things where they would be able to look back maybe like 20 or 30 words, right? So it's like a, it's called like recurrent learning. So mm-hmm. the, the terms are LSTMs and RNNs and things like that. But just keep in mind that like the RL models could only look back so far, right? That's the, the general thing. So um, what's special about transformers is that there's a thing called attention, right? And uh, the best way I could say it is that it's like, imagine that you're reading a textbook. And so in the textbook, obviously, like I could memorize the whole textbook and be able to take my exams. But the way that you usually learn is that like there's certain pockets that are a little bit more important. So in the physics textbook, obviously, I would want to learn like like Newton's three laws, the momentum formulas, right? Uh, integrals, uh, derivatives, things like that, right? The things that I give more attention to, right? So let's just say that I was able to properly map where I put my attention towards. So I can look pretty much in the entire textbook, right? If I properly learned, I would look in the entire textbook. But there's pockets that are a little bit more important. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the case of ChatGPT, right? Uh, the fact that I can give it a bunch of text and it's having a conversation with me is that it's like it's assigning attention to what's important. Right. And by doing that, I'm able to actually give you a good, proper response. And how does it know what's important? Uh, that's that's part of the paper. That's that's part you, of the yeah, paper. Yeah, gotcha. You'll, you'll, you'll design. You'll design how things work. Um, to be honest, I could try to give you an answer, but it would probably be wrong. But just just know that it's like the, the magic term is attention, and it's because it's able to actually like assign what's important. And I'll just. Let's say, let's go back to the chat GPT example and the scope of words, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why it's just parroting uh, human language is that it's like, okay, here's all of human language. Here's where I assign like the values of importance. Whatever's the most important, I'm just going to pick that word next. And then it adds it to the whole conversation. I do that again and again and again. And that's how it works. Got it. Okay. So then, like, obviously, a lot of this probably sounds really confusing just for like the average learner or someone yeah. who's just learning about AI and like, saying things like, like I don't know, like I couldn't even read the paper. It's a tough paper. Like, mm-hmm. What do you think students who are interested, though, in like machine learning and AI like, can do just to get started and to start like building that knowledge and to, to build that passion? Yeah. Um, personally, I would say that it's, it's never like, super easy. Uh, there's a whole bunch of math that's like, a, like feels out of our league, right? Like, I'm sure when you read the paper, it's, like, there's like seven formulas that are like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's like you talk to like, a professor, like, oh, it's so easy. It's so simple, right? <laughs> um, personal thing um, is always just try to use the internet to your advantage. I think that just having like a bunch of researchers that are like able to explain this to the masses is like the best thing you could do. Uh, that's my personal feel, right? And I feel like it's the same as learning anything. Like I think that it's really impossible to imagine that you could put aside like an afternoon and understand the paper that's changing the world, right? It'll take it'll take a month. It'll take like maybe two, three, four, five passes, right? And you'll learn more each time. Like it's just how we learn, right? As as people. Um, it's also how networks learn because they repeat over data sets multiple times, right? So there's there's some there's some magic in that in that respect. Um, so my my first recommendation would just be like try to just make yourself like more active online. Like look through like obviously you won't be able to understand papers. Okay, fine. Can I understand like the researcher explaining the paper? And then could I understand like the YouTuber explaining the code behind the paper? And then could I understand how to actually code an example on a data set? Right? There are levels that you build like to to get comfortable. Right. Yeah, I'm still working on it. So, and how did you get involved with being the leader of the ML club? Um, thank you. Good question. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, the the way that it came about was really that Jacob and I were both really into ML since we came in here. We were both specifically working on vision. That was like our general thing. Okay, like face uh, recognition or kind of, kind of. Okay. I'll show you a project after that. I think cool. is pretty cool. But general vision stuff. He worked for a different lab. I worked for a lab that was like uh, autonomous vehicles, things like that. Whatever. 
So um, what's special is that I think uh, I joined the actual Segei Club, which was our old name. Now it's ML at Purdue. Shout out to the club. Um, but uh, we were working together for like a year or so, and then the, we kind of actually were looking for how to grow this club. We, uh, we met with Marcus. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big Don Marcus. And he kind of gave us a little bit of an outline as to like, oh, let's try to make something new, right? So Jacob and I just felt like we could move ML in a different direction. It's kind of had a highlight right now. Everyone and their mom is getting an ML. So yep. like, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, let's capitalize, right? And so that kind of one thing led to another, and here we are. Yeah, you couldn't have talked to someone better to grow your club, I'd say. <laughs> Marcus is, is definitely the one to talk to. Yeah. There's so much potential with, like, this field. I was kind of wondering, like, do you recommend that, you know, engineers, specifically more on, like, the uh, like mechanical engineers, for example, do you recommend that they also get a lot more involved in AI and ML learning, especially because I've, I've noticed recently that a lot of, uh, you know, companies and positions, they seem to separate the mechanical engineers from the computer scientists because they like to hire people that have expertise in either one of those instead of having people that are, um, you know, trained in both. So do you think it's still uh, worth it for engineers or mechanical engineers to learn more into AI and become acquainted with that field? Uh, good question. Um, but like, uh, I would say, excuse me, so yeah, just to make sure I understand the question, like, do we want like our mech users to start picking up a bunch of CS knowledge and then apply their ML? Right. Where do you, where do you see the future of AI going? Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, as far as like how engineers should approach it, mm -hmm. I think that it's a little bit irresponsible to say like, okay, like you're like regiment learning all this math, all this math, all this like structural knowledge, right, to actually build airplanes. Okay, like it's great that ChatGPT or could like give you like directional on how to like build an airplane with 99% accuracy. Do I trust ChatGPT to build an airplane? Right. Like, it's, right. It's a stretch, right? So I would say that it's still extremely important that you maintain that actual knowledge of how to build deterministic working models, even if it's something like a control algorithm, right? Like the PIDs of the world, like it's great. AI can be pretty accurate, right? But like there are deterministic algorithms that we know work well. So I would say that like it's great for stuff that it's hard to like bring in human intelligence. Like for example, like how did 10 years ago it was impossible to say like how many faces can I recognize in this room, right? And now it's like a solved problem. Like I get that, right? But also like, if it comes down to the matter where I need 100% accuracy, like I need things like that. If I need to build an airplane, it better work, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I would say as an engineer, I think it's great. It's great to learn some more of this stuff, right? Whatever makes you more like a, like a stronger target shows you that I can, you know, I can run with everyone. But I would say, uh, I think it's still important that we still have engineering disciplines of all kinds. Right, but do you think um, mechanical engineers should learn about uh, machine learning and AI and actually how to uh, develop these algorithms? Uh, how important do you think that is for it takes a long right. time, I feel like. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to give an answer like that because mm -hmm. I'm sure someone's going to like lead some stuff like that. I, like I said, it's something that you take with a grain of caution. I think it's just important. I think anyone should probably just try to keep up with ML. Yeah. Try to see what's going on. The Agreed. same way that like if you're into rockets, you should know what SpaceX did with the Starship launch, right? Like that's just a general thing because that's changing the future. But at the same time, it's really hard for me to say to everyone, like, hey, drop what you're doing, learn ML. Cause it's Absolutely, right. Yeah. Especially because it's becoming so widespread. Yep. My perspective, I would just say, like, I think it's a tool to be able to use. Like, and I don't know, maybe you've noticed this too, but, like, what I see with, like, ML and AI is, like, there's a lot of focus on, like, actually like, developing models, like, on the math behind them and, yep. and all of that, which is just, like, extremely complicated. Like, yep. you cannot put all that in your head and, like, make sense of it unless you really studied it for years. Um, but I think like more focus should be on the fact is like, like have some general knowledge of like how to like use existing models or like put them together to build tools that can be helpful for you. 
Um, like I don't think you necessarily have to understand the math that's going on right. behind it, but if you can just use them as a tool, like look at it no differently than like your laptop or your phone. Like it's something that you can use to help like your daily life or help whatever job you're working on, whether that's like building rockets or whatever you're doing. Um, and I don't think you necessarily have to know like how this model actually was. Yeah, made. I think the fundamentals are going to be important. It's like it's the new, it's the next big thing. It's the next internet uh, of like our parents' generations. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, I think everyone should be acquainted with it and understand you know the fundamentals, how to make a simple one maybe, but not necessarily the the deep roots of all the science behind it. Yeah. Would you would you say it's like a next big internet? Like that is like. That's like a big statement, yeah. um, but I know like AI is like it's gone up and down over the years. Like I think in like maybe like 2012 it was big for a little bit, and then it shuts down because like there's not as much like development. Obviously, right now is probably like that the peak of it, yeah. just because yeah. chat really took it off. But do you see that like slowing down, or do you see it just continuing to like grow? So I think um, ML is in a really special space right now, just because there's so much funding, everyone kind of knows it. Uh, as far as the question as like um, will this like continue or like is that the right way yeah, to yeah. understand it like i mean obviously it's it's a peak like you can't imagine that this sort of market for ai will exist forever so in that aspect i would say no but i do think that there's a lot of active research behind it that'll like push the space forward i think um the same way with all aspects of like ml and cs like you can't expect the same level of research forever like we said like in in 2011 2012 right the whole thing of like uh, can i figure out like computer vision can i figure out what object is in this thing right how do I figure that out? That's kind of a solved problem now, right? Like we're just kind of competing for who has the most accurate thing. The mm -hmm. architectures and stuff are done. So I would say like um, we'll we'll solve a lot of problems in these next couple of years, but there'll always be new problems that pop up that we'll need more research towards. Okay. Um, do you think there's like this is totally taking a curveball? Um, and actually developing these models and like continuing to grow, like there's so much energy that is involved. Like that was one of the big controversies is that like chat was using like I forget how much energy per like every prompt. Yeah. So like, what do you see? What what do you think about that being a challenge? Is actually of actually like growing like the actual energy that goes into like training these models and like being able to run these systems. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. Like, uh, it's it's super wasteful. Like, if you like if you really think about like the fact that we have like a GPUs running like just actual like hardware for ML like running a wasting tons and tons of electricity like if you've seen it like even like your gaming computers right like if i have those and like a whole server running there's like eight of those gpus i think per chat gpt query right there's eight wow. of them on, yeah right it's crazy eight gaming computers for one chat gpt at least like the graphic like the graphic right, 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 right. those big like uh nvidia cards that you pay money for now so, are you saying per response or like per uh, like for per query I, wow. I might be wrong i might be wrong that's, that that's, that's crazy yeah right wow so yeah, they're they're using tons and tons of it, and it's it's hard it's hard because it's like an industrial revolution thing. Like okay, like this is a crazy technology. We have to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh it's a little it's a little like foresighted for me to say like here's here's the prophecy on where like a uh, usage will be. There definitely has to be like an improvement on energy efficiency, and that's a goal, right? A lot of the goal is because we're we're making bigger and bigger models. Before it was like a simple neural network to solve computer vision. Now it's going to be a huge transformer model. In my lab, we're using uh, we're using one transformer that leads into another transformer, and we're using some other network that feeds into all of it, and it's like a whole big pipeline, right? And you'll notice with your thing, you're like you're using some network for this, I'm using another network for that. It's all it's all big, it's all trained, right? And now like when I put it together, it's wasting a bunch of energy. Right? Yeah. 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 It's a hard thing. It's something that we can't solve yet, but it's going to be like a big hardware change that has to happen. So do you think, what I was going to ask is like, do you think that's a hardware like improvement that needs to happen? Or maybe like actually when you're developing the models or when researchers are creating the models or you're putting them together, like actually thinking about how 
we can do it in the most like efficient way mm -hmm. possible. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of things. Uh, there's a thing of like, there's, there's one big problem just called like, um, how do we actually advance like your task knowledge? And the, the way that I would describe it is that like, if I train a model to recognize like uh, cats, right? Like tell me between the links and like the house cat, just go back to the old example, right? Now, if I wanted to add some stuff, like can you recognize the, um, the pit bull versus the chihuahua, right? It's like I basically have to start over with that data set and a bunch of new stuff, right? So like as we're advancing knowledge, as humans, right, as once we pick up that knowledge, we're just able to learn a little bit more and we can bring all that knowledge together, right? But for models, it's, it's weird because we pretty much have to start from scratch again, right? So in that example, like as we're trying to advance knowledge, obviously it's like it's hard because like you want to be able to just advance as fast as you can. So we're just going to keep training models and stuff. But there's a lot of research specifically in the area of like, okay, once we have some knowledge, how do we keep advancing it without just starting from scratch over? Right. Yeah. Especially with like, I think Moore's law. I mean, the transistors are doubling every two years. I think AI or the limitations uh, surrounding it is going to slow down slower than we think. Yeah. I think it'll I think it'll still like accelerate but just not as fast as it could be just because of these limitations with hardware and also like data processing speeds and things like that but yep. besides that uh are there what are the other limitations associated with AI like how much what about how much data we could provide a model for it to be trained on how long that takes Yeah uh good question I I would say that yeah it's it's hard because we're actually we're pretty much at like Moore's limit right now you you probably yeah. know this right like like the transistors, like it used to be like what every like year and a half it doubles or something. Like the yeah, the rate is definitely like slowing. It's like up. half an atom or something. Yeah, like, it's, it's like insanely small at this point. Small. I don't yeah. know how like that works logistic. at all. But right. Yeah. Super interesting. Logistically, it's going to be impossible. Like within like twenty years to imagine. So mm -hmm. there will have to be another hardware breakthrough. In my opinion, that's that's yeah. something I can't say is like factual or something. But I do think that there has to be a big hardware thing, because it's hard. Like like as like as like scientists, how do we like actually know like oh here's like the the magic formula for human knowledge without just like having access to a bunch of data right right there's like there's stuff there's stuff that we're trying to do like okay can we make this model a little bit more efficient can we make sure that it adds knowledge without like starting over and being less wasteful but at the end of the day i do think it's kind of a hardware problem a lot of like the leaders in ml are pretty much saying like we're just making bigger and bigger models and the the way that we're like learning from humanity is that we're just getting bigger and bigger data sets right mm -hmm. um yeah so that's like it's a, it's a hard problem like i do think it comes down to hardware personally I guess the, the tricky thing is, like, I've always thought about it as, um, you know, with this hardware problem, why can't we seek to biology? Like, our brains can hold terabytes and terabytes of data, so why can't we have, you know, from birth, we have, like, some sort of model attached to, like, uh, an infant, for example, and it learns with the infant, because if, if we have this sort of consciousness and sort of intelligence, it's because we've learned through experience and environments. So similarly, like, if we're, and that's from the data we're experiencing from our lives, right? So the, similarly, if we could attach an AI model, to uh, an infant and from birth it grows with the infant and also learns in that sense. Um, I feel like if biologically it's possible, there should be a time where we could also reach that, that limit, right? But the only tricky part is that now this AI model has to become omnipotent and so, like exponentially smarter than this infant that it's been growing along with. So that's how can we have infinite knowledge and uh, infinite omnipotence in the AI model that's only learned with an infant from like couple years you know you'll probably you'll probably like say it but like i feel like ai just like learns differently like right it's like it's compared to biology a lot but like yeah. they're inherently like two different things like at, at its most basic level like you're really just taking like a data set a matrice of like all different numbers and trying to like output it to like the correct um answer and like whereas with biology honestly i don't really know how biology works but it's just like and i don't think like a lot of people really understand how biology works yeah. and how we learn but it's just like 
inherently different. So. Right. But I'm saying like the there there is a potential for it to have a larger um, or to reduce the limitations of it because if biology can do it, then we can also do it. Too, yeah. You know what I mean? So there is there's a possibility where we can have a chance to absorb more data. Okay. Uh, first answer, um, I'm like, I'm struggling to be like an ML person. I'd be definitely failing as a neuroscience person. So <laughs> like, uh, yeah, take, take my thing with a grain of salt. I, I don't know. I, I think that that whole thing, like the, what's it, the neural links of the world and stuff like that, mm -hmm. like, I'm sure they're targeting a, a special thing. I think, I think, uh, it's kind of like a, it's a little bit off topic, but I think you brought up a good point is like the way that, um, people learn is very different, vastly different than how um, humans learn. There was a talk by this guy named Jasendra Malik, um, who was like a Berkeley Eeks professor, like super influential in CV and computer vision. And so he came here and he's like, the way that we learn as people is vastly different than like, computers. And exactly. What's special, uh, what's special is that we actually start like from a, like a child, like a development perspective, we start super concrete. So like when you see the two-year-old, right, like it's limited vocabulary, even if it knows like a hundred words, what it's doing is that it's pointing, sweatshirt, uh, microphone, bottle, right? And it's like, it sees the world in completely concrete examples. And you've seen like the things like the segment anything models and like those AI models that like split up your whole image and stuff, right? Like we have that basic knowledge, but like if you imagine that like um, the way that like children that we see, right? Like they develop knowledge and like kind of like steps, right? Like if I compare like a 10 year old or even like a five year old talking, right? Yes, they have sentences, but the level of abstractness is vastly different compared mm -hmm. to a 15 year old or a 20 year old, right? So like, I think, I think, um, that level of knowledge, like as far as like the AGI game, it's vastly different than how we're doing it. You got to think like it's like um, I could never expect a like a, a five year old to talk like someone on like a, like a Reddit forum or something, right? Like they're just different levels of abstraction. So like when I train like the Chat GPTs and when I train these large large language models of the world, like on this like ten thousand uh, foot view of like human knowledge, it's impossible for it to like capture the whole thing correctly. The same way that like a child can start from like here are objects around me. Okay, here's like the bottle is red. So now there's more knowledge that I've gained. The bottle is red on the table, and he's about to drink from it, right? There are things that I build like, uh, and I like add layers of abstraction. But like from like a purely like philosophical point, I think the way that we approach like the stack of what knowledge needs to be for AGI is like a completely different game. Yeah, and maybe like even more like particularly like what you're trying to say is like I don't know for a for an infant that sees the world, if, like, someone jumps at them or, like, I don't know, tries to, like, just, like, play with them, it'll, like, that person will stand out a lot, whereas, like, a model will basically just take in that field of vision and, like, I don't know, the sky in the background is, like, no different. It's It doesn't carry any more weight than the person jumping at them because ultimately it's just, like, a bunch of, like, pixels or a bunch of numbers, uh, whereas, like, the infant can differentiate it. I don't know. That also brings it back to, like, the attention thing we were talking about. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if I can try repeating it. I'm, I'm a little bit struggling to understand. To I just mean, like, for an infant, like, yeah. the actual, like, emotion that the infant's be able to see, like, a person jumping at them or, like, someone, like, putting their ha hand out in front of them. Like, the, the person's hand is what's going to stand out, whereas for, like, I don't know, a model, it takes in, like, a field of vision and it'll just, yeah. it'll just see the, it'll take in the whole vision and certain, like, parts of it doesn't carry more weight than, like, other parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really good example in CV. I think um, the thing is though, there's a lot of models that like attack that specific problem. Like, what's the actual change in frame over time or something? Like, I I would say like that's a little bit like I think at the abstract level though, it's still a little hard to capture the like I said like the concrete base is fine. Like that's sure that we have that solved in computer vision. Like even if it's like a completely like sky is blue but the guy's waving his hand. Like like if you saw that like there's a Facebook model called Segment Anything, right? 
and what's special about it is that like anything you put in like i'll be able to split off the like a picture we'll take a picture we could try it later on but like it would split the laptops the um the cup would be different three different colors for each like layer or something like that it's fine like that concrete thing can be solved but like um the hard part is just like how do we actually sequentially add levels of abstraction so like even though like we can have this base layer that has some knowledge whatever the pixel is right how do we make sure that we know that here's like a four-year-old's understanding, I'll explain it like I'm five, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, whatever. Because like we can think like that, right? Like right. I can, yeah, right. Like if someone were to look at this, they'd be like, oh, or an AI model would be like, I see a computer, uh, mics, but then, you know, someone with higher abstraction would be like, okay, there's a podcast recording going on there. Yeah. And for it to get to that point, um, that's what I was saying, like with the years of development and training with the environment that has been surrounded, like the reason that we understand this as humans is because, you know, we've grown up from children and have gained these experiences. So similarly, like um, we could have an AI get to that same position as well, but how much data would that, like that would take an insane amount of time and learning um, yeah. and input. Um, yeah. I, uh, so like as far as like training a model, to, like a general AGI model, I don't have that solved. Right. I'd, be, I'd be a trillionaire if I was, right? Like I wouldn't be here for sure, right? Exactly. <laughs> I'd be on this podcast, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's hard to just say like, um, here's like the approach that'll solve AGI and stuff. And like, yes, we can sort of mimic, like, let's get all the data from every human and figure it out. But then if you have all the data of every human, then we pretty much could just map something easier, right? It's, it's harder from like a single human experience. How do we start to generalize the human knowledge? Um, as far as your thing, like, how do we get that much data? I, I don't have the answer for that right, right now. I'm yeah, that is, I feel like that's a, a big limitation for where we're heading in the future. And yeah, it also brings up a lot of like, I don't know, security questions. It's like, should we actually be giving out all of this data? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. we can build better models, but I don't know, a lot of it could be proprietary or like people shouldn't be accessing it. So, um, and I know that's something that like Elon and a lot of guys are talking about. It's like, like I know he, he just the other day was like threatening to sue to not be able to use like Twitter's like open database to train models. Um, yeah, so like, um, Definitely a lot of like data privacy questions that come up with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, privacy is gonna be a huge thing. I feel like we've already kind of noticed it. I feel like it's kind of sucks for us as like our generation that just grew up with no privacy because we're like, <laughs> we're, like, we're on Google, we're on YouTube, we're on TikTok. Like there's, there's no such thing as privacy right now. So it's, it's hard for us to say like, okay, like don't use my data for this, but it's okay that you collect it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a hard problem as far as like security. Uh, we kind of already feel it, right? Like you saw like the TikTok Congress hearing, which was very, very, questionable look right yeah but um yeah that, that that sort of problem is already kind of out there as far as like how how is our data being used even like think about like the captures that you guys have to use for google like do you realize that that's just a setup like a, to an ai system like filling out like okay we label which ones are motorcycles right when you do that right where do you think that's going or where do you think that's being trained yeah right? like yeah the, yeah the captures yeah, yeah, yeah right right right, right. <laughs> especially you see the ones that are a little bit more like pixelated mm -hmm. those are all like uh, computer generated now wow yeah interesting so oh. like, I just did one yesterday that was like crazy. It was like usually I feel like you get one or two and then yeah. it's done, but this one was like ten long, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I was yep, like, yep. you can't tell that I'm not a not a computer and AI model like doing this." But so theoretically, if we could steal this captcha data, we could train our own AI model to beat captcha. I'm sure that's already been done before. I feel like, like a yeah, yeah bots no, that beat captcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, I feel yeah, like that has to exist. Maybe <laughs> it, it probably does. I mean, with this level of technology, complex. I'm, I'm yeah. sure that it's already been done. It's just not like open to like the general public. But 
Yeah, like uh, I mean, you see, they get more complex. Like label the ones that are like a motorcycle on a street. Like why would I? Why would yeah. a robot do this? Right? Like it's impossible to figure out unless you're like unless you're like really advancing your model. So yeah, it's a cat and mouse game, right? It's like a we've kind of let the cat out of the bag. Like everyone realizes that now, right? Like mm-hmm. like there's there's no way that we're gonna be able to put this ML stuff back in the box. Like the six month thing from uh, like Elon and stuff. Like let's stop development of AI. I don't think it's gonna go anywhere, right? And it's it's hard, right? Like we've opened up this thing and we know it's gonna go forward. How are we gonna like capture in that productivity? If anything, it's a bad thing, right? Like, okay, all the best labs in the world are shut down for six months. Now the bad guys get six months to get a lead. Like, come on. Right? Yeah. So it's it's a very cat and mouse game and it's it's hard to stop. And even like regulating this is such a difficult issue. Like how do you, where do you put a stop to how much AI power the average human should have? Like all these students are using it in in their school activities, but at the same time, like it's kind of like a calculator. Like back then when calculators came out, um, everyone was doing hand math and then this this calculator is just like advanced how quickly we can do computation. So now like AI should be a tool for students in class, but at the same time, like the students should be able to learn these concepts on on them, like by themselves and not just depend on artificial intelligence. So how do we like, uh, provide AI as a tool to these education systems and limit how whether how how much they're going to be using this AI software and uh, you know what I mean. So how, like, yeah. that's another difficult issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to say anything? Not really. I mean, there's just like a million issues that come. come <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've like, we've hyper accelerated into this regime. Like it's it's gone so fast. Like we never really had time to put down policies and figure out like the the real power of this technology. Like people are already talking about like prompt engineers. You know, yeah, like yeah. making use of the AI in a, in a certain way where you're giving it the right prompt because it again, like you're saying, it's on the way towards omnipotence, but getting to that knowledge is the hardest part asking the right questions it's going to have the answer but asking the right questions is what we should be training our our future students for yeah um yeah it's it's crazy if prompt engineering is a career to me and like you're getting paid to gaslight and have like a ml model like <laughs> yeah. like that's a, one way to put it yeah it's like your career is like 40 hours of future like <laughs> but anyways um yeah like uh as far as like the the, the scale of things i mean i think i think I mean, you tell me what you think but to me personally i think it's just like another layer of abstraction that we add like the same way that, like, if I ask ChatGPT to give me code and I don't know how to write C++, if it tells me and it's wrong, who am I going to run to, right? Like, ChatGPT, tell me, oh, this is wrong. Come on, right? So, like, I think the same way that, like, as, as compies, you guys have, like, Verilog, right? Like, before, we had to design, like, uh, the stuff by hand, right? We had to, like, build actual CPU architectures, right? Or even something like Ansys, right? Like, actually, like, actual design stuff. Like, a lot of this stuff can be automated, but it's our responsibility that when it doesn't work out, right, we still right. have human knowledge to figure out. So... Like like anything that like 10x is your productivity, like you still need to be able to know how stuff works under the hood, but like the monotony of like okay, like how am I gonna generate this like 10 page paper? Oh, mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, English teachers, but <laughs> uh, but like the like how am I gonna generate all this code or something like that? Like this can be automated, right? But as long as I have that sort of like I know what this works under the hood. Personally, I don't believe that there should be anything stopping you like mm-hmm. from like using it as long as you know how to fix your problem that comes up. I think answers. Yeah, I think Ansys was a good point because that one's like, it's um, a lot of automation. So engineers are like, they don't really need to know exactly what's happening behind the scenes. Like they have a fundamental knowledge, but they don't have to recomputer every single time to check yeah. their work because it's just automated. They know it's going to be right. But with AI, because it's going to be only rational decisions and no human factor, sometimes you might need to know exactly what the AI is doing in the background to confirm if the answer it's producing is actually viable for your particular circumstance. So yeah. that's like how much can we trust it and how much should I know about what it's doing is a really difficult line to cross. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure like even like some of the most like developed AI researchers or developers like don't even really know how the 
AI is like piecing together certain information to, yep. to output results. Yeah, that's a that's a huge problem. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. awful. I mean, like it's like oh, like tell me what the weight is at like the third layer of the network. I don't know, dude. That's why I train it, right? Like it's right. supposed to find the optimal itself. But um, yeah, like it's it's a huge thing. It's like it's called model interpretability. That's like the whole area of research. Like how do we make sure that these networks aren't just black boxes? Because for us it is, right? Like right. Dude, tell me tell me what like the at like. 20 seconds into my query, what ChatGPT is thinking, I couldn't tell you for the life of me, right? Like, I could tell you where it probably is in the model based off, like, research and where hardware computes, right? I'm sure I could do that work by hand, right? But, like, what's going on in the actual model is, is hard to figure out, right? It's a Thevenin and Circuit. Like, how, do you, <laughs> how do you even quantify that? Because it's just, like, just a bunch of numbers. Like, right. yeah. what is the model thinking, like, 20 yeah. seconds in? Like, you, you don't know. Yeah, right, because it's data in, data out. We just try to make sense of it and make some, like, make some infrastructure so that it's, it's cool to play with, right? Mm-hmm. That's, like, the whole thing. So like, I uh, I don't know. It's it's a little bit difficult um, to say that like here's like a here's the way to understand at every single level. This is what this number means in the whole context. Right. right? You'll need to understand the model like the back of your hand. Right. You got to yeah. learn the way the model learned. Yeah. Which like regulating that is insane. Yeah. 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 So it's it's a hard problem. No answer for it yet. But even <laughs> if you think of it in terms of like humans, like I don't know, an infant that like learns what an apple is, like mm-hmm. what is the infant actually like doing to know that that's an apple? Like. It, Obviously, we have a memory, but like, how does the memory? Like, we don't really know understand how those things work. Yeah, I, Jacob is returning. <laughs> how's Welcome it back. going? How was the How was the project? Went wonderful. Perfect. We were quicker than I expected. So. Awesome. Yeah, we're getting to the roots. Of the, like, we had a really interesting conversation so far. So we were just basically saying like how with AI models, like we don't really know like how the model actually like works. A lot of times, it's like yeah, we can ask it a question, it'll output the right answer, but like. What did it do to come to that answer? Like the train, yeah, yeah. almost like the train of thought. And we were saying how, like, even with humans too, like, you don't really know how an infant knows, like, what an apple or what an orange is. Like, it just has yeah. a memory, but, like, how does a memory work? It's like, is yeah. it a bunch of numbers? Is it a bunch of, like, I don't know, cells, like, like yeah. reacting with each other? So it's like, how do we quantify those things? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of models are yeah. not interpretable. A lot of models aren't interpretable in that kind of way. Uh, some. You know, there's a lot of work that's being done yeah, yeah. to interpret models. So if you've ever heard of something like a convolutional neural network, this is how we uh, can look at images and, ex- and like classify things, for instance. So it scans over an image multiple times, and mm-hmm. it uh, will like average all the pixels together, or it'll like take the max pixels, something like that. And then from there, you get a bunch of smaller images. And then from there, you get a bunch of smaller images and smaller images until you just have a bunch of ones and zeros, right? Um, so if you look at those earlier, earlier images that are a little bit smaller, you can kind of see what the model is trying to look yeah. at. So you'll see like, uh, the grass is only kept in the image or like maybe only the bus is kept in the image and stuff like that. Exactly. And the model will start to classify based on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, infant brains, things like ChatGPT, these really large models, they don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't know yeah. how they learn. They don't right. know how they learn. Yeah. Um, I think with, like, humans, like, the older we grow, we can kind of look back into or really uh, be introspective and kind of understand how we learn and in a philosophical sense, I guess. Um, but a lot of things like, for example, laughter. Why do we laugh? Why, what makes something funny? What is humor? Things like that are very subconscious, and we still don't exactly know how things work in that sense. So mm-hmm. that's, like, a place where we don't know, you know, how the AI would interpret laughter. Because yeah. have we had, like, funny AIs yet? And have, can AIs, like, do humor <laughs> other than, like, finding puns online? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, can they yeah. be creative? So things like that, it's, like, um, how exactly does that work? But at the same time, like, um, I mean, 
brains are very, very similar to computers. It's just synapses, ones and zeros. It's either on or off. Mm -hmm. So if the neurons fire with a binary response, technically, does that not mean that eventually we can train a computer model with just ones and zeros to get to the point where it's simulating synapses and brains and neurons, or neurons? And does that mean we could eventually reach like human consciousness? Because uh, fundamentally, it's by principle almost the same. So my, my response to that would be kind of similar to what Jacob said earlier. Um, uh, going back to the convolutional neural network example, like uh, what you'll notice is that like um, when we start to isolate features that are important, so let's go to like um, what like what animal? Like, let's just go with the classic example. So when we're looking at a cat versus a dog, right? Some of the certain features that get picked out from the whole picture, like what do the ears look like, right? So when the ears flap, that might be a binary indicator for me to go to a dog, but if they point out, it's the sign to go to the cat, right? So we can see that on like a on a vision perspective. But for stuff like the chat GPTs that are like an abstraction of human language and then how do we actually map that, map that is a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like if you imagine that like you have like CT scans and stuff like that where you can see what's firing, that's, that's just my personal opinion. Where like, If you see where stuff is firing in the brain, then you can start to associate that, right? That's us like reverse engineering the problem. Like, yeah, you can imagine that like for this certain prompt, here's the certain like um, here's the certain layers that fire off and certain like that. And then maybe we could figure out how the model is thinking and that's like certain way, but it's hard. It's hard to say that like, okay, the left side of your brain is only used for creative stuff or stuff like that because that's right, where we see exactly. that fires off when we do like art or something like that, right? You could maybe make that assumption for like how networks work based on what like which which layers at which like thing fired off, like which parts of our network architecture came off. Like print lines statements in between. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Like that's the, that might be how you debug it. It's like the CT scan of like a, a black box or an AI model. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say like it's it's a little bit hard, right? We can have some sort of heuristic, but it's hard because all this is abstract. Like what is what is concrete? What is something like that? We assign that meaning, and then that's how we like build from there. Yeah. Right. And uh, I want to add on to that, to that a little bit more. Like our brains, um, our brains map concepts in ways that we don't understand, right? All of our inputs into our brain is completely multimodal. We have our sense of touch, we have our sense of hearing, we have our sense of sight, and things like that, right? We've really only gotten uh, pretty good at one modality, so just vision or just language. And now we're starting to combine uh, like language and vision to grasp objects and stuff like yep. that. This is all like groundbreaking stuff. So until we get to the point where we can have every single sense in a right. human brain, like we won't really be able to see uh, what the models can learn. Yeah. Right. Because right. it's exactly. not doing the same thing as a human does. Yeah. Yeah. It's trying to do something different, like label the caption of an image or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And that goes back to the point from before where I was telling them about like the gender thing where it's like at first we started with pure vision for children, like two year olds with its concrete. But like like we said, like what is like what is a pillar, right? So then you add one layer of abstraction and stuff like that. And you bring in more senses, right? What does it mean that the table is smooth? I pretty much have my like a sense of touch solved, right? Because I'm able to tell that. And then what does that add to the scene? So like as you integrate more of these things, then you have a gen- better general idea of what's going on, but it's a really far away thing until that's like solved. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to ask, this is a little more broad, but we've talked about like so many different concepts and just things surrounding AI, um, which could be like overwhelming at first. And I know one mistake I always make is when I'm trying to learn something new, I always just like hop into like every single thing possible and I'll never get like any progress done because I'm just trying to learn everything. Um, do you have any like tips or advice for students who like want to get into AI, but maybe you're like, what should I focus on or what should I do first? Um, this kind of goes just for like learning anything, to be honest. Attention. <laughs> yeah. 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 
you want to go first? Uh, um, come to MLI Purdue's beginner workshops. Yep. <laughs> we can help you out a little bit. Yep, yep, yep. You know, in terms of specializing in the field of AI, it's it's pretty hard to pick something and just uh, and just specialize in it because everything is really cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. Like if you want to do like robotics, uh, that there's some really fun, unique applications in robotics. If you want to do something like natural language, tens uh, there's dozens of, of applications there. Uh, I just say try a bunch of stuff and then stick with whatever you like the best. Yeah. Right? That that just kind of goes for everything, right? Try as much as you can and just stick with whatever you think uh, you, you could be passionate about for a really long time. And really, once you stick to something for a long time and you develop that domain knowledge in NLP or robotics, for instance, it's really easy to jump around other fields when you're an expert in one of them. Uh, it's kind of like learning one programming language. When you know them, you can understand all the other ones, even right. if you don't exactly know how to write, uh, let's say, Haskell and you know Java or something. That's a stretch. Haskell is going to be crazy. Okay. But uh, anyways, <laughs> anyways um, yeah, no, I 100% I agree. I think, like, uh, and it's it's always true, like, the fact that if I try, like, seven different, like, tr types of AI, right, and they, I all struggle, but the one that I learn, I learn pretty well, and then I can, you know, reference it when I'm learning something new. Like, for example, I thought I was always going to be in vision forever. Yesterday, I wrote something that's like, how do I classify emotion based off what someone spoke in, right? Mm -hmm. What does that have to do with vision? I'm going to find out in like three months when the papers do, right? <laughs> so like, like uh, it's it's something where as long as you start in something, like you'll figure out that, hey, like these these tricks, like this way that I write a classifier, which is just like the same way, cat or dog, okay, happy or sad, right? Same sort of story, right? The data changes or like the way that like maybe this layer of the model changes. Try a bunch of things. You'll fail. You'll feel slow. You'll feel dumb for a while. That never changes, right? That's just part of learning. Right. Yeah. yeah. Going back to that, um, sorry to interrupt, but going back to that, you're, you're talking about like different programming languages. I've heard a lot of people mention that like Julia is a very good programming language for people uh, to learn. Is that the, the new upcoming uh, language that everyone should be in on? Uh, grain of salt. Grain of salt. Because... Um, <laughs> The, the special thing about Julia, it's developed by, like, this, like, I think it's, like, a scientist at MIT, and, like, they wanted to make, like, a more, like, a energy-efficient approach to Python. Okay. Python's very, very inefficient. It's interpreted, and there's, like, it basically, we have to pass C++, C++ figures it out, right? There's a bunch of stuff that we're doing in between. So um, I think Julia is used a lot for numerical computation, so all, like, the scientist stuff is using Julia. It's like MATLAB? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, but... All the research papers, I've never seen one in Julia. I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. Like, I've, I've never seen it. So maybe maybe, maybe you'll be the groundbreaker, you know, <laughs> if you want to push something. But uh, I think Python's going to be around for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of AI and ML, like, Python has been uh, getting a load of updates. Like, mm -hmm. uh, 3.11 makes yeah. regular computations almost as fast as C. And, you know, that's, that's insane. Yep. <laughs> you can just plug and play Python now, and it'll be, like, 10 times faster or something like that. Um, and all the libraries are being developed in Python. So if you want to use uh, Jax or TensorFlow or PyTorch, that's all developed natively in Python. And those are all like AI ML libraries, right? Exactly. Yeah, frameworks. Yeah, frameworks. Yeah. Like, so all, all your okay. papers that write their networks do it in those frameworks. And they're all in Python, yeah. right? So correct me if I'm wrong, but are those all like neural networking languages where every generation it has an incentive to learn from and then it like is that what those uh, libraries use? Not exactly. So the way I would describe it is, is that like all these things are just mathematical models. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that we represent those mathematic mathematical models are using these frameworks. So these frameworks kind of give us like the Lego pieces to build this network. Right. So they're like the foundation for all these models and or not models but uh, algorithms. Uh, yeah, would it's just like the building blocks. It yeah. allows okay. you to build them. Okay. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So have you ever heard of something like backpropagation? Where you, yeah yeah so mm -hmm. like given uh, your outputs and an expected output 
you should be able to find what the inputs should have been right. in order to get that. Yeah. Um, and that allows you to update all of your weights in a neural network. So something like Torch or PyTorch uh, does that automatically. It's like automatic uh, differentiation between layers and stuff like that. I guess what I'm getting at is like for someone who's interested in some sort of stuff um, r regarding neural networks or AI, mm -hmm. like PyTorch, all these libraries would be yeah. a good starting point for them to develop their interest. Oh, in, in yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's, yeah. it's the end point too. It's right, what okay. everyone uses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they make it super easy for beginners. Do you have this problem? Because I know I've had a little bit, but like since like Python's being developed really quickly and just like so many things are being developed, like I don't know, you go to use like an older model or something, and then it's on like an it's using like an older form of Python. Um, like, I don't know, how do you get around that, or like, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, dependency hell is something you will never escape. <laughs> um, it always sucks. There's some there's some ways around it. There's like a ways that we can let's let's put everything that we have in like a like a box and we'll ship that. So then when you download it, you pretty much download that box and you get everything to plug and play with. That's the whole thing of containerization. But um, yeah, it, it always sucks. That that's just like a general mm -hmm. problem of working in high tech, right? Yeah, just keeping up is a problem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then bring it back to like your guys' club. Do you have any like initiatives um, for the future? Um, I know. Jacob, you're a junior, so also, probably yeah. one more year. You both are juniors, so uh, what are you thinking for like next semester, next semester, next year? Like, what's in store? Yeah, yeah. go first. Sure. Yeah. So we have um, three main initiatives. So the first one are our project groups. So that's split up into entrepreneurial, uh, research, and industry projects. Um, second initiative is our beginner workshops. So we're currently looking into partnering with some people in the yeah, CS department, yeah, yeah. but not I'm sure yet. I'm behind on some emails, so that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> we might be uh, helping teach the, the yeah, CS290 yeah. Intro to AI class, but regardless, cool. we're going to have our own like help desk and, uh, and beginner workshop series. And we also have our ML Talks, or reading group, as it was called this semester, yeah. where we bring in uh, people from industry and different professors, different undergraduate researchers to talk about their work. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on then. Yeah. Cool. Oh, uh, last thing I'd mention, uh, we want to make something a little bit more entrepreneurial as well. So we're trying to welcome, like we said, it's a huge hotbed of like uh, AI like startups right now, right? So the main goal is that we wanted it to be like a one-stop shop for uh, AI and ML development. So whether you're trying to learn, right? We have a workshop series we're trying to get with the class. I have to send an email after this, so I'll do that, <laughs> um, right? But we're trying to make a project space. You want to start to build stuff, just learn, right? That's space for you if you want to actually get involved in like the entrepreneurial aspect, actually build a product to market, there's another space for you. So yeah. that's our main goal. Like our vision is to actually build, uh, the term was Divine of the Midwest, that's a little bit ambitious, but <laughs> let's just say that we're trying to build an AI hotspot for Purdue. Yeah, that's super awesome. cool. Do you have any like suggestions for classes that off the top of your head uh, to get into AI? I know you mentioned uh, CS290. Yeah, yeah. So that's our uh, brand new one in the CS department. Okay. You know, it it uh, all of the computing initiatives in Purdue are pretty scattered. Mm -hmm. I would say whatever major that you're in, if they do have an AI class, it's probably good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're in CS, you have to take 373 and 471. Okay. If you want to get into machine learning, I'd take 373. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit more in-depth. Um, and then if you want to specialize, the CS department, EC department, has a host of graduate courses. You know, if you really want to get into the weeds with ML, take a graduate course. It's not as scary as I think. Um, you typically have to do some sort of project. All the professors are super passionate. Uh, it's going to be a good time for you. That's awesome. Is there any yeah. major distinction between machine learning and AI, or are they basically hand-in-hand, -hand, like synonymously uh, used? So AI is a more general term. I'd say machine learning is an approach to, to have AI. And like the whole idea is that we're trying to, honestly, the way I say it is just we're trying to actually have the machine learn some function, right? And then that's mm -hmm. how we model it. So that's all like the AI that's being done right now. But like 50 years ago, AI was a totally different term. 
So it, it changes. The whole the goal of AI has always been the same. The tool that we're using to get there right now is ML. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you want to think about like classical AI approaches, have you ever like played a video game and you have a bunch of chat dialogues? Mm -hmm. Well, depending on what you pick, you're going to go down a different route. Right. That would be like a, a classical approach to AI or something like pathfinding in Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. Right. All of the different ghosts have different uh, move, movement behaviors. Right. That's a, an, an example of classical AI. Okay. Yeah. They don't have to learn anything in order to, to move toward the closest yeah. ghost or whatever. Yeah. Plug and play algorithms, right? That's like the general thing. Right. We're right now, we're, we're learning how to make a plug and play algorithm so that we just deploy that. That's your chat GPTs, that's your vision models of the world. But the goal is always the same. So, uh, what do you guys think about the new, like, actual AI um, major? Um, I don't know if it's AI or if it's machine learning, but um, <laughs> I find it kind of crazy. There's just like a complete major um if you want to go into that so if you i mean if you're uh, a freshman listening or haven't decided on your major yet like that could be a way to go too as well yeah first uh yeah AI is a good major second join ml purdue uh, <laughs> yeah like a, i think it's, it's just something that's meeting the needs right like the same way that you couldn't imagine computer science being a thing 100 years ago because computers didn't exist right ai is a thing now right it's like something you can't go back on there's things that you'll have to learn obviously to be useful as an ai major but i i think it's something that you can't really ignore New, new fields of study are approaching, right? So let's, let's accommodate them. Makes yeah, sense. It's pretty similar to how we have a data science major now. Uh, yeah. That only popped up in 2018 or 2019 yeah. or something, right? So Purdue, um, Purdue CS has really stepped up and tried to accommodate the, the field that's, that's growing now. So, it's cool. It's I good like to see. It, yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. I, love, I love Purdue especially because they just try out so many new majors and like just mm -hmm. test the waters. And I mean, a lot of them fail, but like yeah. it's good to it's do because yeah. some of them do work. That was a super interesting conversation. I like learned so much from all that. That was yeah. like thank you guys for so much for for coming on. I think uh, I mean I hope our listeners got a lot of valuable stuff out of that. And uh, this is a great start to the series of uh, talking to students and figuring out all the different opportunities available on campus. And you guys are a great example of just the limitless possibilities out there for Purdue students. So thank you guys again for coming on. It was a blast. Yeah. And thank you for having us. Uh, if you guys ever want to reach out, please reach out to RFRI yep. uh, about ML at Purdue. That's yeah, we could we could drop your uh, your um, your LinkedIn's in, in our description and as well as any contact information if anyone's interested in joining your club. So sure. uh, we can provide that as well. Yeah, we'll we'll throw a, a form down there. So if you're interested in joining the club, like definitely go fill that out. Um, and then for our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we really hope you enjoyed our conversation. Um, we'll have the timestamps all linked below. Um, if you have any feedback, fill out the forums. Obviously, if you're interested in the club, fill out the forums. Check out their LinkedIn's. Um, we'll have our LinkedIn's down there as well. Um, and if you want to reach out, just reach out on our email, asme.podcast.gmail.com. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening.